thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Amen. Amen's a good thing to say in church because it hurries the preacher along. And that works out good for the people in the seats because, you know, there's lunch to get to and naps and things like that. But it just simply means that I agree with what I've heard, that I stamp my seal of approval on that. And I believe that same thing. While we're moving around, I, I, I'm going to read a verse out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you want to find that. It'll be on the screen, but I want to call your attention to the bulletin. If you're not getting this bulletin, now, this is probably going to increase our printing costs if y'all start getting them, but that's okay. This is a beast of a bulletin. I mean, it has just got everything in it. And if you would get this, or if you would go to our Facebook page, or if you would go to our church page, or if you would get our mobile app, or if you would get signed up on our text messaging system, um, then you would have all this information in hand. I need to give you some of these announcements, though, today to make sure that you get them. We are starting back up this coming month, starting um, the second Tuesday in February, February 9th and February 23rd, the second and fourth Tuesday, we're starting back up our men's ministry. Amen. Amen. And I want you ladies to make sure that you get your man here because this is going to be a great time of growth for him. We're going to do all types of wonderful stuff, uh, which, which you're going to love. We're not going to tell you about it because you don't know when we're out. Eat, you don't need to know when we're eating wings um, or playing pool. No, we're going to have a great time at Man Up. And... The Bible teaches that as iron sharpens iron, so uh, the countenance of a man sharpens his friend. As we rub up against each other as Christian men, we sharpen each other. And each of us as men have strengths, but we also have weaknesses. And we need to come and sharpen every tool we have in our toolbox to be the men that God has called us to be. See, here's the problem with most churches. Most churches are either female run or sissy dude run. They don't like that over here. Let me come over on this side. That's true. I mean, it's like, and here's the reality. I was telling my kids this just this past week. If you look at the statistics of children that were in church their whole life growing up, as soon as they graduate high school and get any level of independence, even if they stay in mama's house, they stop coming to church, especially the boys. Now, why do the boys stop coming more so than the girls? Well, we could talk about that forever, but here's what I believe. Most teenage boys don't see anything that they want to be being represented to them inside church. They, they see that more in the world. They see that more in people that are not in church. Why? Because it's, it's crazy. We as men were created by God to be the apex predator. We are the alpha of the whole world. We, we are the dominating site, side of humankind that has dominion. God created us to be mountain climbers and dragon slayers, to go out and conquer all week long and, and drag that dead carcass back home and say, look at me, baby, I did my job. And it is hard when you take that alpha male that's grown up his whole life scratching and clawing, fighting, bucking and screaming, be, being made to be dominant, and then you cast him into a church and sissify him down. Are y'all hearing me? See, I don't believe that Jesus was some skinny little sissy 
that hung on a cross that barely looked like he had any meat on his bones. He was a carpenter. He was an outdoorsman. He was a blue-collar worker. He wasn't using DeWalt tools. He wasn't getting lumber delivered to him pre-cut. He was out there cutting down trees and making stuff. He was a man's man. And there are not enough menly men in most churches for our teenage boys to want to continue on inside church as they move into their adulthood. But I can tell you this, at Abundant Life, listen, we might not have the prettiest building. We certainly don't have the prettiest parking lot. But I tell you, you, you don't want to roll up on the men at Abundant Life, not in no tug of war, not in no battle royal, not, not, in, not in no steel cage match. Why? Because we believe that God did not save us to dumb us down. He saved us to make us better and to bring us up. And I want you to come out to man up. We're going to be doing it the second and fourth Tuesday of every month moving forward. And women, get your men there. We're going to talk about how to be the man that God has created us to be. Our 21 days of consecration ends tonight with communion. Please make sure that you come if you can. I know everybody doesn't come back on Sunday night, but Holy Communion is a great time. Um, and we take it very seriously here, and I want you to be here if at all possible. We're also having Parents' Night Out in February the 12th from 7 to 11 p.m. for kids uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. Now, here's what that means. You get to drop your kids off and spend the night with your Valentine. February 12th, Friday night, February 12th, is the night where a lot of people are going to go out. Listen, do yourself a favor. Pick an extremely expensive restaurant that takes reservations and means it, or just stay at home. Go ahead and try to get in Outback. Go ahead and try to get in Olive Garden. Go ahead and try to get in Red Lobster on Friday night of Valentine's Day. Deacon Jimmy saying three-hour wait. Yeah, you don't want to try that. But here's what we're doing. We do Parents' Night out here routinely throughout the year. What does this mean? Free babysitting for four hours. You don't have to spend three of that waiting on a table at Outback. You can go home, get a Netflix, and cuddle on the couch with your sweetie pie. Or you can just take a nap. You, you can just go get in the bathtub and rest your back. Listen, I want you to take advantage of Parents' Night Out, kindergarten through fifth grade. We're going to feed them. We're going to entertain them. We're going to keep them safe, and we're going to give you an opportunity to catch your breath. Now, the, the bad news is, uh, well, my kids are old enough to take care of themselves now, so I guess they'll be all right. It, it, when the parents say, barely miss it, right, because I got a sixth grader, and my sixth grader can't come to, to parents. Well, I guess he could if I said so. <laughs> we can talk about that later. But parents' night out, fi February 12th. Listen, guys, don't forget Valentine's Day. Um, if she's expecting something, make sure you get her something. And if she tells you, I don't like flowers, she's lying. If she says, I don't want you to get me anything, she's lying. What she means is you're not a good steward with money, and she's worried that you'll buy the wrong stuff at the wrong price, okay? But, hey, do what you got to do. Keep mama happy. New members class. February's busy, y'all. Y'all need to get one of these bulletins. New members class is going to be February 21st at 6 p.m. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take everybody who has not been through new members class that wants to find out what our church is about, find out some, uh, get to know me a little better. We're going to go over into the fellowship hall, and we're going to eat steak and lobster. We're going to have some, some bull crabs out back. No, I'm just kidding. We are going to go to the fellowship hall, and we're going to hang out. We're going to eat something. We're going to drink something, but I'm guessing it won't be steak and or lobster. But if you've ever considered being a new member of our church or you'd just like to find out more about the church, 
come. Uh, we're going to meet over there while regular service is being held over here. You can sign up at the welcome desk. It would help us to know how many to prepare for. And listen, we have had a date change. Say date change. I have been so excited about this women's retreat that uh, the church has put together for the ladies to go and spend a night together in a beautiful place on the St. John's River called Marywood. It's an incredible facility. Uh, they jacked up our date, which is going to help some people because we've moved it back. The date has changed to April 29th and 30th. So it's going to be the last weekend in April. That's going to give you more time to get your money together. Uh, this is very affordable. We're asking for a $20 deposit or a verbal commitment today with a registration form. Fill out the registration form. Listen, you can always leave stuff up here. If you can't find a deacon, an usher, somebody with a lanyard on, go into the administrative building. But you can always leave anything up here. Uh, large amounts of money, big giant checks, and a deed to your house, uh, or a registration form for the women's retreat. Listen, you need to go on that, ladies. It'll do you more good to go be with some women of God, some women who, who are going through the same type of stuff you go through. You will get to know your sisters in Christ better in a one-night sleepover than you would in five years of coming in here sitting around people barely talking to anybody. So there's a lot going on, and that's that get a bulletin. Amen? All right, let's turn to the Word. Before I get into the Word, I want to tell you what I've always said. Whenever someone is preaching or teaching the Word, don't concentrate on who it is. Concentrate on what the Word is saying. We've got to believe as Christians that God is real and that this book is special. Say special. The Bible says of itself that it's a special book. It says that it's different. It's a living book. That the words of this pages can jump off and get inside you and make change in your life. Now, we got to believe every time we come to hear the Word taught that God can speak to us. And I want you to let God speak to you this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, follow along as I read. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, Don't Stay Stuck where you are. Pray with me. God, thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you for your spirit that guides us. Father, I thank you for each person that has come to this place today. Father, to worship you, to fellowship, to hear your word. God, I pray that you would anoint our children teachers this morning, that you would bless them as they share your love with our children all the way down to the nursery. And God, I pray right now that you'd anoint my mouth and my mind to say things that would be sound doctrine. God, teach us what you would have us to know. God, I pray that you'd encourage people, Lord, for everyone who's come in here. God, we come in with different hurts, different baggage, different issues, God, but we know that you are the God of all comfort. So, Lord, I pray that you comfort your people today and teach us from your word by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't stay stuck where you are. There is a danger in any area of life of... No longer progressing. Any area of life where you want to progress. Now, let's think about what some of those are. Education, uh, physical. You, you, we live on so many different realms. We, we've got our physicality to be concerned with, our spirituality. We've we got to be concerned with our emotional well-being, our financial well-being. There's so many different things you can progress in. But when you're progressing in different stuff, let's just take running, for example. Now, I did a lot of running in the Army. 
When I got out of the Army, I used to tell people I'm not running anymore unless somebody's chasing me. At 52 years old, I don't care if you're chasing me or not. You're going to have to prove you can take it from me because I'm not running. But I did a lot of running in the Army, and we would always be trying to get better. We would always be trying to improve our time. And there's a plateau issue that happens when anything you're trying to do as far as becoming better. If you're trying to become a better husband, a better wife, a better student, a better athlete, a better uh, theologian, uh, a better person of prayer, a better person of Bible study, a better citizen, there's this getting stuck in a rut. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Where it just becomes the same old, same old, where you literally can look at your life and understand that you are just sick and tired of being what? Sick and tired. It's just time to move on. Say move on. God does not want his children to be stuck. God wants us to progress. This is the story of the Bible from beginning to the end. God brings us new life, but he expects us to move on. And that's why our church was started with a vision and a purpose of being a multiracial, multidenominational church for anybody who wants to come, especially to those who are hurting, especially to those who are disenfranchised, especially to those who have had people look down their pious nose of religiosity at them from other churches but could come and find a place of love and acceptance here. We want everybody to feel comfortable coming here. Drug addicts, people high on hungover folk, all that. But listen, I said come here like that, but don't stay like that. Progress. Get better. Move forward. Don't stay stuck. 2016, every year... Uh, when we come into the new year, I pray in the month of December that God would give me something to focus on for the coming year, something to channel our mind and our spirit into a thought, a purpose that he would have us consider throughout that year. And this year, we're believing 2016 to be a year of freedom and answered prayer. And I've already seen so much answered prayer. That's why we started. Sometimes we do our 21 days of consecration in December to prepare for the new year. Other times we do it in January as a first fruits offering for the new year. And we've been coming into this room for 21 nights in a row from 7 to 8 o'clock and praying. No preaching, no singing, just people getting on their knees. And let me tell you, this has been the least attended, least attended, time of prayer that we've had in 14 years of being a church. We, we've had less people come out, but here's what's the crazy thing. If you've been saved for any length of time, you've probably been in a service, you've probably been in a home group, you've probably been hanging out with some friends that really love the Lord, and sometimes when it's just a small group of serious people, God shows up. Amen? We've been seeing good things. We've already been seeing answered prayer, but I also said that I believe 2016 will be a year of freedom. Freedom from what? Whatever's binding you. Whatever's troubling you. Whatever's holding you back. It might, it might be something mental. It might be something physical. It might be something financial. It might be something relational. It might be something spiritual. But God says that he can unlock the things that are holding you back. And I want you to lock in with us for 2016 and believe that God is going to free you of some stuff. Listen, if you don't already know right now 118 things that you need freedom from, you need to get to know you better. If you don't already know that you need to get free from some, some emotions that are bothering you, some habits that you're struggling with, some, some bitterness, some unforgiveness, some things that you've been holding on to since you were three years old. Listen, we need to be free in Christ. And we also need to see 
God answer prayer. And I believe that's going to happen. That, that is uh, the vision that we're believing God for in 2016. But the 2016 vision doesn't run contrary to or uh, in opposition to the overall vision of our church. The overall vision of our church is transforming our world by the power of God's love. That ought to be on on a slide right there, guys. There it is. Transforming our world by the power of God's love. If you want to know what abundant life is about, this is what abundant life is about. Transforming our world by the power of God's love. God did not put us in this community by accident. We didn't move off of Blanding Boulevard in Orange Park on three and a half acres of paved property with striped parking spaces and a thousand-seat sanctuary to come over here and just have pretty church services on Sunday and Wednesday. We came over here to transform a community. We came over here to get involved and make a difference in the west side of Jacksonville, and that's already happening in our first year. But not just in Jacksonville, but the whole world. Where is our world? Anywhere we go. Or anywhere we send people. You can see our banners across the back and our newsletters on that wall of ministries that we've supported, ministries that we've started, orphanages, leper colonies, places where people are being ministered to, the outcast and the hurting are being transformed by what? The power of God's love. See, many churches are built on great preaching, great teaching, great facilities, great marketing, great campaigning, great TV shows, great lighting, great sound, great musicianship. We are believing that the thing that people need is beyond all that. People need to experience firsthand the love of God. Because the Bible says it's the goodness of the Lord that changes us. It's the goodness of God that will make us want to love him back. He said, I loved you before you ever loved me. We respond to the love of God when we come face to face with it. But we want to transform our world by the power of God's love because God is in the transformation business. From Genesis to Revelation, God talks about transformation. He wants to change us. That's a big part of why we come to church, why we're here today, to learn more about God and hear more about God so we can be transformed. I want to give you a really easy definition of transform. Give me that screen, guys. To change something completely and usually in a good way. This is right out of a Greek dictionary for the Greek word that's used for transform in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And it means to change something completely. Listen, God says he wants to transform you. What if God changed you completely in a good way? Would that be all right with you? All right, well, since some of y'all don't want to get with it, let me say this. What if God changed all your children completely in a good way? Would you be for that? Some of y'all can't. Let me move on this side of the room. What if God changed your spouse completely in a good way? Would that be okay for anybody? Listen, what if God changed the city of Jacksonville completely and in a good way? Would that be okay for anybody? God wants to transform our world, and that's why we're here. That's the mission. That's the ministry. That's the vision of Abundant Life Christian Fellowship is to see transformation. Now, let's look back at the original verse that I read as our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, comma, I'm always going to tell you because I'm a Bible teacher, pause on the punctuation. When you see punctuation in any form of literature, but especially the Bible, that's there, the comma is there to give you cause to pause. Always pay attention to the punctuation. It's there for your perfection. But we all, I talk a lot about hermeneutics 
at our church. Hermeneutics is the art and science of properly interpreting Scripture. There are keys, there are principles that if you will learn them, they will help you understand what the Bible is talking about. One of them is we, us, they, them. When the Scripture says we, who's it usually talking to, church? When it says they, who's it usually talking to? All right. So here, when he says, but we all, who all? Usins, weans, home folk, the Christians, but all the Christians. If you're saved, this is talking to you. If you call yourself a Christian, this is talking to you. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now, contextually, and I'm not going to get into the context of the passage deeply today, but it's talking about how Israel has a veil over their face. They can't see plainly. All the way back to when Moses came down off the mountain and God gave him the tablets of commandments, they said, put a veil over your face because you're glowing. You've been with God, and we can't even, we feel nervous looking at you. So they have had this cloud, this veil over their face. They really still don't see clearly because they can't see that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Messiah. Not going to teach about that today, but that's the context of what it's talking about. Even still, it's saying we Christians have, have an unveiled face. We're not looking through the same veil. We don't need anything between us and the glory of God. We want to see it. So whereas the people told Moses, we don't want to be able to look directly, they said, we don't want to see God. We'll send you up for us. And then even after he went up for them, he came down different, glowing, that if you ever get real close to God, you're going to be blessed one day because somebody's going to say, there's just something about you. You're just looking different today. You just look, you just look like you're happy in the Lord. But So they put the veil over his face. But the Bible says as Christians, we should not have a veil over our face. We shouldn't have anything hindering us from seeing God directly, beholding as a mirror. We ought to be looking straight into the glory of the Lord because what happens at that point, when you start looking at God close enough, you're going to be transformed into that same image. And this is God's purpose. He says in other parts of Scripture that he wants all of his children to be changed, transformed, shaped, molded, conformed, to the image of his son. You know what God wants us to look like? Jesus. Now, is that possible? Well, no, not with the whole world fighting about Jesus. I told you earlier, I don't believe he was some little wimp, frail sissy. I told you many times, I don't believe he was a white dude with blonde hair and blue eyes. That makes no sense to me. Nobody on that part of the world is a white dude with blonde hair, blue eyes. All all the African Americans in the room, that's a preach, bruh. Go on, preacher. Tell it, tell it. Tell he was bronze skin. Yeah, bronze skin, not black skin. Okay, let's just be real. If it's real on this side of church, it's got to be real on that side of church. I don't believe he was blonde hair and blue-eyed and sissified, but I also don't believe he had an afro or a jerry curl or, or a pick in his back pocket with a fist on it. Okay? Listen, but... I'm not talking about his outer image. I'm not talking about the melanin of his skin or the coarseness of his hair. I'm talking about what God sees. God says that we as human beings look on the outer, but God looks on the inside. We ought to be looking more and more like Jesus on the inside. When we become changed on the inside, it will change the way we live on the outside. See, that's the difference between religion and Christianity. Religious people change on the outside uh, when they're in front of folk. 
But the, them on the inside doesn't really get affected that much. That's what church will do to you. But Christianity will change you on the inside, and that change on the inside will begin to make you different on the outside. Are you following me? We need to be transformed into the image of what God is looking for, but here's how it happens. From one degree of glory to another. From one degree of glory to another. One other version says from one level of glory to another. Listen, if you're stuck, pay attention. Y'all need to wake up. Y'all got a spirit of slumber on some of y'all. Y'all, y'all need to slap yourself, pinch, pinch, pinch yourself on the, on the on, you know, grandmama fat hanging down here. Listen, wake up and hear this because especially if you're not already locked into this right now, I got news for you. You're stuck. You're stuck. You're already plateaued out, and you need to move to the next level. Say next level. This won't come from going to church. This won't come from great preaching. This won't come from great teaching. This won't come from your favorite TV pastor, favorite Internet pastor, radio pastor, or abundant life pastor. This comes from the Lord. Transformation comes from the Lord. Real growth comes from the Lord. Listen, you need God's help. Do you believe that? To get from where you are to the next level, we need God's help. And there is a next level. Here's the dangerous spot some people find themselves in. I'm good with where I am. And they, they veiled it with false humility. Well, I just thank God for the growth I've experienced. That's pride being veiled with false humility. Listen, there's another level for everybody. No matter how deep you think you are, no matter how arrived you think you are, no matter how awesome you think you are, no matter how grown you think you are, there's another level for every, the great apostle Paul who isn't like most of us. Most of us came from the underside. Most of us came from the wrong side of the tracks. We didn't come from the, from, from the well-to-do side. The apostle Paul was different. He came from the right side of the track best education most pedigreed man on the planet he was the most anointed man on the planet in his day and God used him to write about half of the New Testament but even the great apostle Paul said I'm not all that I haven't arrived I've still got room to grow I hope we can at least agree on the fact that we've all got room to grow today don't ever get so churchy that you think you're there don't ever get so that's why a real Christian should never look down on anybody because a real Christian understands that, that if it wasn't for salvation, that we'd all be in the gutter. Hallelujah. But God wants to take us from one degree of glory to the next. And the only way this can happen is to be transformed, to be changed completely. Why? Because we're all jacked up. Everybody can't say, I thank God for, Kyrona, I appreciate you agreeing with me. Everybody is jacked up. Here, the Bible says those who've been forgiven much love God much. And, that, and that's where we can take and say, man, and, and many times you'll see somebody who comes out of deep drugs, deep alcohol, deep perversion, deep struggle, that they come in and they're all fired up and they love God at a really, really high level. And then they take that verse and they say, those who've been forgiven much love God much. Well, here's the reality everybody's been forgiven much. You might not have wallowed in the gutter like me and some of the rest of the people in this room, but you were just as lost as anybody was because the Bible says we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory, and we all need the Lord in our life. We need to be changed. Say change. We need to be changed completely. We don't need to be a little bit changed. That's why some people will never be all that God wants them to be. They want to give a little bit to God, but they don't want to get all holy. They, they, they want to give a little bit to God, but they don't want to be churchy. 
They want to give a little bit to God, but let's don't get carried away, Reverend. It don't take all that. Let me tell you something. It takes all that times 10 multiplied by 1,000 squared to the ultimate millennium. It takes all that and then some because we need the Lord and we need to be changed. That's why the Bible talks about being transformed from one degree of glory to another, and that comes from the Lord. Now, I want us to look this morning at a story in Ezekiel 47. Man, it is so hot. I try to dress up for y'all, but I just can't do it. We're going to look at a story in Ezekiel 47 this morning, and I'm going to do what I do sometimes, not very often. Great preachers in America today almost always preach from an Alexandrian hermeneutic. They tell stories. I want to tell you something. Bishop Jakes is the greatest storyteller on the planet. He could tell a sad story about a dog so good it'd make a cat cry. I mean, he could he could just he can he can turn a phrase better than anybody else. But if he was in here today, he would tell you if you're not a oneness Pentecostal baptized in Jesus only, you ain't truly saved. And if you believe in the Trinity, you're not really going to heaven. What? Listen, you don't have to agree with what everybody believes just to be able to get something, chew the meat, spit out the bone. Amen? Great people who we call great preachers today preach from an an Alexandrian hermeneutic. That means they tell stories about stuff. They'll take a little piece of the Bible and they'll make a whole big story out of it and try to make it say what they want it to say. Sometimes that's okay, but usually that's tricky. And you can get into eisegesis when what we need to be doing as Bible students is exegesis. What's the difference? Exegesis is to take out of the Scripture what it is saying. Eisegesis is to read into the Scripture what you want it to say. You, you, you should have heard the, the, the cliche by now, people with a little bit of knowledge are dangerous. You take a little bit of something, try to make it say what you want it to say. That's typically what people who come from an Alexandrian hermeneutic does. What's the other? The Augustinian hermeneutic. Uh, St. Augustine gave us real theology, orthodox theology, Christian depth, foundational theology. And that's typically what I do here as a teacher at Abundant Life. I'll take a passage of scripture, a text, and I'll take it word by word, phrase by phrase, verse by verse, and take out of the scripture what it's trying to say. But this morning, I want us to look from more of a story, say story. In this next to the last chapter in the book of Ezekiel, and I want you to follow along. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. Say great. And it's going to help you, if you'll listen to it, it's going to help you get unstuck. In Ezekiel 47, verse 1, Ezekiel said, In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. Now, here's why I'm going to come at you from a storytelling Alexandrian hermeneutic, which Jesus used at times to tell stories and to tell parables, instead of coming from an Augustinian view, taking every verse and breaking it down and explaining it contextually because we'd be here all month trying to get through all this. But here Ezekiel is having a vision. It says, in my vision. What's Ezekiel having? He's having a vision, and God wants us to learn something from this vision. He wants us to get the big point, not always every point. And so we're not going to look at every point, but I want us to get the big point. Now, 
in the previous chapters, God has been showing Ezekiel measurements of temples, measurements of buildings. He's been showing him all this deep stuff in a vision. And Ezekiel has already walked around this temple, but he's just now seeing the water. Look at it. In my vision, the man brought me what? Back. He brought me back to the entrance of the temple. Now, even if you haven't read chapter 46, you ought to be able to know just from what you just read, if if the, the vision is bringing him back to the entrance of the temple, he's already been there. It's what he's saying. He's already walked around this thing, measured this thing, seen things in his vision about this thing, but he hadn't noticed the water yet. God brings him back to the entrance of the temple, and he says, there I saw a stream flowing east. There I saw a river, other versions say, from beneath the door. Now, the door, you don't have to be a deep theologian to remember that Jesus said, I am the what? The door. He said, I am the way. I'm the entrance point. Jesus is cast as the door many times in Scripture. And if I was going to come at you from a very detailed theological perspective from an Augustinian view, we'd be spending a lot of time talking about all these words, but what I want you to see is it's a vision, say vision. And I want us to get the big point. He sees this stream, this river flowing out from the temple, coming forth from Jesus and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. It's something that starts here and goes out. Say it goes out. Look at verse 2. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway it led me around to the eastern entrance. Are we going to try to figure out what the north gateway represents and what the eastern entrance represents? No, not today, because we're not looking for every point. We're looking for what? The big point. And it says, there I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. Verse 3 says, measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet and then led me across the water was up to my ankles. Here's the vision. Ezekiel's been walking around his temple. God's been telling him different things about the temple. And this time around the temple, he sees water flowing out from the door of the temple. And he sees this river being formed that goes a long way. Say, long way. And he walks along with this messenger of God, and he's got a tape measure. Now, I don't know. If, they're not a 1,750-foot tape measure, is there, Deacon Jimmy? He, he works in measuring. He measures more than anybody in this room because he builds fences, so he's always measuring. But he, even he knows they don't make tape measures this big. You don't even have to worry about checking Lowe's or Home Depot or online. They don't make tape measures this big, but God can. Amen? A whole different message right there if you understand God can do what Home Depot can't do. Now, a better preacher would make a series out of that. Listen, he measures 1,750 feet. Now, that's a long way. That, that, that's just a little bit longer than a lap around the standard track at your high school. That's a, a, that's a little over a quarter mile. And he's walking along this stream, and he gets to this part in this stream. And it says, the, and then... After, when, when is then? Then is after. When is then? After. you got to go through some stuff in your life with Christ. This is talking to Christians. you got to get to some then moments in your life. When is then? It's after. It's after you've done some stuff. After you've walked around the temple. After you realize there's a river flowing out of Jesus. After you realize this is a long walk that I'm on, but I'm traveling along this road river highway, and I get to this spot 1,750 feet down from the door of the temple, and then he led me across. I want to tell you something, child of God. 
as you walk in your Christian experience, there's some times where you're going to have to cross over some stuff. If you're not crossing over some stuff, you better start crossing over. If you're not, if you don't have some moments in your life where you can look back and say, I remember in 1987 where God brought me over there. I remember in 1998 when I moved over. I remember in 2005 when God brought me over some stuff. Better preacher than me, make a series out of that, but we're going to keep moving. He led, he led him across, and the water was up to his what? Ankles. I want you to see this with me this morning. This is what God is depicting. He's showing a river that Christians have to step in. And when you step in the water, here it's only ankle deep. Now, if you're in the water and it's ankle deep, are you in the water? Yes, you are. This pictures a person who is barely in the water. But you're still in the water. What are we talking about? We're talking about salvation here. We're talking about people who are in Christ, people who are truly born again. But listen, you know, in your own experience in Christ, just because you're saved don't mean you're deep. Just because you're saved don't mean you're getting a whole lot of God on you. You might be saved this morning and be only ankle deep. Let's keep moving. Uh, he goes on in verse 4, and he says he measured off another long piece of distance, 1,750 feet. And he led me across again. This is the pattern that God wants every Christian to go through. Walking and crossing and walking and crossing. Not being stuck. Not being content with where you are. People are like, well, you know, the Bible says be content. It don't say be lazy. It doesn't say get stuck. It doesn't say stop. It doesn't say stop growing. It doesn't say plateau. The Christian experience is an experience of walking and crossing and walking and crossing. And listen to me, going deeper. Going deeper in what? In Christ. Not crazy. Listen, if you're ever talking to somebody and they get glazed over in their face when they're talking to you and they start acting all religious weird, run. Their medication ain't kicked in good yet. If you're ever talking to any, and, and they go into this bit, if you're talking to someone, yes, Lord, hallelujah, mm, yes, mm, yes, God, I hear you, God, mm-hmm, uh-huh, and, uh, and I was at lunch the other day, mm, oh, yes, thank you, God, hallelujah, that medicine ain't kicked in good yet. Listen, I ain't talking about deep crazy. I'm talking about deep in Christ. I'm talking about moving further in your relationship with Christ, crossing over some things that bring you into a deeper, more committed relationship to Christ. Let's keep watching. He, he says, this time the water was up to my knees. Where was it at before? Y'all staying awake. I like that. We're getting done quicker. Now it's up to his what? So he's getting deeper. After another 1,750 feet, listen, you don't walk a first 1,750 feet. You ought to be tired by then. You're like, that's not that far. Well, walk in August into Florida, heat and humidity. All right, put on a bunch of stuff and have to carry the weight of life with you. If you're carrying the weight of life with you, 1,750 feet is a long way to walk. Are you feeling me yet? Struggle, say struggle. Hardship. Difficulty, endurance, suffering, going through, but what? Keeping on. See, if you're going through, that means you got to come out at some point. If you stop, you're stuck. But if you're going through, you're going to come out on the other side. A better preacher than me make a series out of that. But he says he's going another, what, 1,750 feet, and now it's up to his waist. It was just up to his what before his waist? 
His knees. What was it at before his knees? His ankles. He's gone from his ankles to his knees to his waist. So he's getting what? Deeper. Let's look at verse 5 and finish this thing up. It says, then he he measured another 1,700. How long, oh Lord, how long? How much, oh God, do I have to go through? How many times am I going to have to keep walking this river? How long am I going to have to deal with what I'm dealing with? Until. Until it gets better or until it gets worse or until God takes you home up out of this place. He walked another 1,750 feet and the river was what? Too deep to walk across it. It was at his waist. Where was it at before that? At his knees. Where was it at before that? At his ankles. But now it is too deep. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. But guess what? He crossed it anyhow. How did he cross it? He didn't walk through it. What did he do? We're going to see something about that in just a minute. Let's look at verse 6. He asked me, have you been watching? See, that, that's, that's Old Testament speak for you feeling me. That's, that's Old Testament. Are, are you following me? Are, are, are we connecting? I know you're hearing me, but are you what? Hearing me. He said, are, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back across the riverbank. That's how I know he crossed the swimming side because he had to get to the other side to be led back. Let's pay attention to the word. Verse 7, he said, when I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Now here, I'm going to jump through some stuff, then I'm going to jump back and make the point and get out of here. If you're saved, then you got a journey to travel. If you're in Christ, then you're traveling in the water because the water is representing some stuff. Sometimes you're only ankle deep. Sometimes you're knee deep. Sometimes you're waist deep. Sometimes you're all the way in over your head. But when you are traveling, not stuck, traveling forward, not going back, traveling on your journey in Christ, there's some good stuff happening around you. Say good stuff. There's bad stuff too. Jesus said, marvel not at the world. hate you. They hated me first. The, the Bible says, Jesus said, be well when all men speak well of you. The Bible says, don't count it a strange thing concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. The Bible says, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Jesus said, tribulation you shall have with you always. Stop listening to these liars on TV telling you if you're sending $56, you're going to get a 56, chapter 56 miracle, and you're never going to have trouble anymore. That's voodoo. That's not Christianity. But when you're going through on your journey and you're crossing over and you're going through and you're crossing over and you're going through and you're being led and you're following see followership is big john maxwell making a billion dollars a year writing books about leadership and one of the keystone things he said about leadership is everything rises and falls on leadership well i've been doing this for more than a minute and i can see where he's coming from but i can tell you this as somebody who's been leading for a long time some stuff falls on followership and every parent can know that. You know you taught that child how to load that dishwasher. How many times do you have to tell them, put them big state knives pointing down? Cutting you, right? And you're like, I know I told you that. 
I told you, don't put them little lightweight plastic small bowls on the bottom. They're just flying around everywhere. Sometimes stuff falls on fellowship. But when you've been being led and you've been following and you've been journeying and you've been crossing over, you've been doing what you're told, you've been growing deeper and deeper, getting more and more into God and the things of God, you're not only going to see some tribulation around you, you're going to see some good stuff too. And this is what he saw. And all this represents stuff I don't have time to get into. He was surprised by the sight. It's what he saw. Say he saw. He saw some stuff. As a Christian, you ought to be seeing stuff. Now, see, I personally believe that Christianity is about faith, not about what you can see. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. I believe Christianity is a by-faith religion. Everything, we're saved by faith, we're blessed by faith, we grow by faith, we're delivered by faith, we're healed by faith. One day we'll be resurrected by faith. But faith has evidence. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You can talk about your faith all day long, but you better have something to point to. You wonder why some of your family don't want your your religion? Well, why would they? You're busted, disgusted, can't be trusted. You're the schemiest, skeevingest, slimiest, slimiest. You, you ducking and dodging, dipping and tripping, slipping and diving all the time. Why would they want to follow you and you don't have anything? Come to Jesus. Come come and what? Be miserable as you? No thanks. What, be depressed like what? Get on that same drug you're on? No. I'm trying to do that. Listen, when you really become the man the woman God wants you to be, I'm not saying you're not going to have trouble. You are going to have trouble. But you're going to have some good stuff too. What you going to have? You're going to have growth. He saw the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. This is uncommon geographically in that day based on heavy winds, based on sweeping rains, based on rocky terrain to have trees going on. I ain't going to get into the whole detail of it, but let's go on to verse 8. It's uncommon. Say uncommon. Then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. Listen, rivers don't flow through deserts and into Dead Seas, but in God they do. What did he say? He'll make a way out of no way. He, he, he put a river in a dry place. If you really need something that you can't do for yourself, you need to realize there's no limit on what God can do. If you start following, if you start being led and don't give up, if you start being led and don't quit, if you start being led and don't backslide, I'm so tired of people in Christ backsliding, it's time we front slide. Yeah, the body of Christ needs a front slide. And when we front slide, we're going, to see, we're going to see rivers flowing through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea where nothing lives and nothing grows. But the waters of this stream, which stream? The Jesus stream. The stream that comes from the temple where God resides out through the door who Jesus is that carries the feet of God's people out into the world, what are they going to do? They're going to make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. It is not up to the pornographer to fix America. It is not up to the liquor distributor to fix and educate our children. It is not up to the abortion clinic to make our community a safer place to live. Listen, if the people that claim the name of Jesus would start living what they say, the world would be better already. Why? Because if we flow through the earth, we're going to make salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. If the body of Christ would rise up, we don't have to worry about which one. Listen, let me tell you something about politics. I've already told my kids. They, they, they none of them honest. 
please don't send me all your honest beliefs about whoever your politician. I know some of them started good, but if you understand politics at all, I took political science classes in college. Here's, here's how it works. Senators form PACs. What does that mean? There's only 100 of them, and these are the guys that make the real laws. There's only 100 of them in the world, and they are more. My, my, my political science professor told me that a sitting senator was more powerful than a president when it came to shaping policy and laws because here's what they do. They got their seven or eight buddies. And everybody, all the Senate is divided up in these little packs. They got their homeboys. They got their running mates with them. And they, they want to get certain stuff passed that they believe in. So guess what they have to do? They got to go over here to schemey, slimy dude. And it's like, look, I need my stuff to get passed. I know you got nine people in your hip. You vote for my stuff this time. I'm going to vote for your stuff next time. That's how it works. And that's how they push stuff through. So I'm not counting on politicians or this next election. Everybody's so fired up about this candidate, that candidate, going to fix America, going to make America great. Listen, the only hope for America is Jesus. That's it. I don't care Republican, Democrat, Independent, or don't, don't do none of that. The only, and listen, Jesus is not going to come down in physical form and just start walking through the streets of Jacksonville. But he gave us feet to walk through Jacksonville. He said, we're the body of Christ. We're the hands and the feet of Christ. We're supposed to be carrying this message to the world. So when we're in this stream, we are being carried along to freshen up stuff, to make stuff grow, to purify stuff. Look at verse 8. Then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. It'll make the, make the wa- salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. Verse 9 says... There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Now, if we were breaking this down deep, we would have to wonder, okay, how are there going to be swarms of anything living in the desert? The desert don't have swarms of stuff. The desert don't have rivers running through it at a high level. But this is supernatural, and this is what will change your life. If you can begin to believe that God is supernatural... If you can stop trying to rationalize everything and figure out everything about God, see, when you can't figure it out, you got to what? Faith it out. You, when, if you start believing that God is bigger than our minds can understand, then you're not going to have a problem believing he can save your spouse. You're not going to have a problem believing he can fix your child. You're not going to have a problem believing that you can give 10% of your money away to the church as God has commanded you to do, and he can do more with the 90 than you can do with the 10. I'm messing with y'all now, so let me keep moving. Wherever this water flows, there's going to be living stuff. Fish will abound. Fish don't abound in the Dead Sea in the natural. But with God, the Bible says nothing is hard for God. Nothing is impossible for God. I wish you'd take five things that you believe can't happen and write them down on a piece of paper and start praying about them. I wish you'd take five things that you've stopped believing in and really start committing them to God and watch God do what you can't do. Watch God do what you thought was impossible. For it, Why are there going to be fish abounding in the Dead Sea? Because its waters are going to become fresh. The water is not fresh but it's going to become fresh. How's it going to become fresh? Because the Spirit of God is leading Christians on this journey, and as Christians walk through stuff, Jesus, see, if I gave you a quiz before we started this message, and I said, who is the light of the world? All good Christians that went to Sunday school would say, Jesus, and we love him so. 
Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Why? Because he gave us authority to go shine and brighten our world. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Go flavor your world for Christ. You are the light of the world. Go shine for Jesus. You are the purity in the world. Go make the Dead Sea. Listen, go make the West Side. Go take the drug houses and the crack houses and the neighborhoods nobody wanted to live in and turn them back around, transform them, change them for the good so that people will know that there is a God in heaven and he can do anything. He said life will flourish where? Wherever this water flows. Life will do what? What's it say on the screen? Flourish. Don't be so deep that you can't be honest. Christian living off cliches, there's no power in that. People walking around snotting out of both noses, I ask them, I preach a friends of mine, get him, get him my Lincoln, snotting out of both nose, nostrils. I say, well, is that an allergy or you got some type of virus that's catchy? Uh, I'm healed in Jesus' name. Well, you know, well, why don't you take your car and meet me there because you're blowing snot on my dashboard. And I, that snot ain't healed in Jesus. People quoting stuff that they ain't living. Oh, I'm blessed and highly. If you're broke, say you're broke. But I believe in God for better. If you, if, you, if you ain't healed, say I ain't healed yet, but I'm believing God for better. If your family ain't all together right in there, you know everybody's got one, two, nine, 36 crazy people in their family. You know that uncle that you try to sit away from? Listen, just, just believe for better. Why? Because life flourishes wherever this water flows. Now, if we could be honest and get off being churchy, most people in this room would have to admit, Pastor, I don't really think I'm flourishing right now. I ain't flourished yet in 2016. Every, everything in my life is not growing. Everything, I'm not bringing healing everywhere I go. I'm not bringing prosperity. I, I'm not flourishing. If, if you could be that honest. Listen, if you really want God to do something in your life, get honest. I told y'all before, we, when we were having man up every Tuesday night, family's not in this church anymore. They moved up to Tennessee. But the wife came by the church Tuesday afternoon needed the lights to be paid by 5 o'clock on Wednesday. So she couldn't come see me on Wednesday night because the lights already be shut off. So she came by church Tuesday afternoon. Lights going to get shut off when? Husband comes to man up Tuesday night in my office. And I asked him, what's up, man? Oh, it's all good in the neighborhood. Oh, sweet. Uh, all the men leave. I pull them over to the side. I said, man, come talk to me. Said, you doing all right? Oh, yeah, Pastor. Everything's good, man. I'm just loving the Lord. And I'm just so thankful you're my pastor. And just, man, I just love you so much. And blah, 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 blah. And everything was perfect and fine. And I got a stack of money in my pocket trying to give it to him. But he can't tell me my light's about to get shut off in the next 18 hours if, if God don't do something for me. Listen, keep acting like you got what you don't have. And guess what you're going to get? Nothing. Get honest about where you are. And ask God to help you move to the next level. Get honest about where you... Stop trying to act deeper than you are. Stop trying to act more spiritual. Than, listen, you might fool me. That does nothing for you. You might fool the deacons and the elders of this church. That does nothing for you because you can't fool God. God knows if you're ankle deep. Listen, God knows if you ain't in the water. That's a whole different crowd. We ain't talked about them yet. There's people in this room not even in the water. Not even saved. Not even in the water. But listen, if you will really let God lead you, how? For a long time. If you will let God lead you, how? Consistently. If you will let God lead you, how? In, in, a, in a progressing direction. 
not in this roller coaster, up, down, up, down, corkscrew, back dive, turn around, fall off the whole thing uh, type of way most Christians' lives go. Let God lead you consistently, diligently, purposefully in one direction, in the right direction. And you keep crossing over things, and you keep growing, and you keep getting deeper. Guess what's going to happen? Stuff around you is going to flourish. Why? Because wherever that water's flowing, that's where you're at. And stuff around that water is flourishing. Look at verse 10. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea. <laughs> that just don't happen in the natural. All the way from Engedi to Enegelium. The shores will be covered with its nets drying. They don't dry nets in the sun off the Dead Sea. This is supernatural. This would take God for it to happen. What if you could start seeing something happen in your life, in your family, in your finances, in your body, in your children's lives, in your community that was so supernatural that only God could do it? Would that be worth glorifying him about? I wish I had nine people that would say something right now. Let's look at verse 11 and try to finish this. But the marshes and the swamps will not be purified, semicolon, shut it down, and think about that. Pause on that. The marshes and the swamps will not be purified. Here's what you have. Follow a river along. My kids and I went down uh, on a swamp boat ride over Christmas, and we were in this big river, and they kept taking us up into marshes where regular boats can't go and looking for alligators and stuff like that. And, uh, and we were going in all these places off the river, up into the nasty parts. Marshes and swamps are nasty. They smell bad. They, they got dead leaves just composting underneath the water. They got thick algae and dead critters up in there. And that water is not purified. Why? Because the water from the door is not running into the swamp. You keep expecting God to bless your mess. Listen, God don't bless mess. God's in the river. Now, if you're supposed to be in the river and you keep ducking up into the marsh, you're supposed to be in the river and you keep ducking up to the swamp. What did the Bible say? Don't go to the right or to the left. You go straight. That's, that's where the flourishing is. That's where the leading of God is. That's where the purity is. That's where the goodness is. Because if you go off to the left or right, you're going to find yourself into a marsh or into a swamp. What am I telling you? Listen to me, Christian. Don't get off track. People want to think, well, you know, I, I'm just taking a couple weeks off church. Really? Well, you slammed yourself right up into a marsh. You just buried your boat in a swamp. Why? Because the only thing that was keeping you half saved to begin with was the people of God around you in your life that was praying for you. The only thing that was keeping your mind half together anyway was coming to church every now and then and hearing some word, hearing some anointed worship. The only thing that was keeping you half going in the right direction was the people of God that were trying to pull you along where they were. And without that, you're going to be off track. And when you get off track, nothing is pure. People want to, Christians want to wander up to the edge. I need to put one foot, hold on, let me base myself. I just, oh, wow. Nobody can see me. I'm just, I ain't supposed to be in there, but it kind of feels nice for a little bit. Listen, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Don't play with sin. Don't, don't think you can just park your boat in the swamp or in the marsh for a little bit, back up from what God has for you. You start moving down this river, you better stay in the middle of the river because you get off sidetracked, and you're going to find out there ain't nothing pure in the marsh. It will still be salty, and that's not representing good at this point. That's representing bad. Verse 12, last verse I'm going to read for you. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. A river 
flourishing in a desert, fruit trees growing in a river, uh, in a desert. This don't happen. Fruit trees growing on both sides of a river in a desert. This is supernatural. What am I saying? You've got to believe that God can do what nobody else can do. And if you'll begin to do what, what this vision is showing Ezekiel to do, what? Walk straight for a long period of time. Let God and the people of God lead you. Stay on path. Don't get up in the marsh. Don't get up in the swamp. You're going to have fruit trees growing on both sides of the river. Listen to what it says. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall. Come. What kind of agricultural phenomenon? The leaves of these trees will never turn. Oh, evergreens. No, evergreen has some leaves that fall. And even if they don't, it says there will always be fruit on their branches. What kind of tree doesn't go through fall, doesn't have brown leaves, and always has fruit on its branches? If you're not seeing this as supernatural yet, God's got something for hard-headed people. It's called the next sentence. There will be a new crop every month. What kind of fruit tree has a brand new crop every month? This tree does not exist. What do we need? We need God to bring something in our life that we've never seen before, that we never experienced before, that is bigger than us, that is beyond us, that we can tell the whole world only God could have done this. A crop, a new crop every month. Why? Because they're watered by the river flowing from the temple. And that river flowing from the temple of God flowing out of the door, which is Jesus Christ, is bringing health and healing, and purity, and prosperity, and growth to everything that it touches. And it says the fruit will be for food, and the leaves will be for healing. We're talking about food helps you grow, and healing gets you healed. Everybody in this room needs growth and healing. We need growth, and we need healing. We need to grow as Christians. I ain't talking about growing out. You know, set you a limit, guys. Set you a limit. I had my limit firmly at 32. Then I thought, oh, let me spread that on out to 34. You better set a limit where you won't spread. Listen, we all need spiritual growth, and we need spiritual healing. And the only place to find it is by this river. You got to get in the river. Two types of people in the world. It's not black and white. It's not good and bad. Two types of people in the world, saved people and unsaved people. You're either saved or you're unsaved in this place today. So if you're saved, the first verse we read in Ezekiel said all of us, we all, Christians are all in the water. They're not, some of them only ankle deep. But all Christians are in the water. That's the way God sees it. Everybody outside that water is unsaved. Here's the sad thing to me. I see unsaved people coming to church trying to get better. You can't get better without God's help. I, I see people trying to tell their unsaved mother, father, brother, sister, auntie, uncle, uh, cousin, grandmom, and them, trying to get them to stop drinking, stop whoremongering, stop fornicating. Listen, don't try to clean them up before they're saved. The, the Bible, the Bible uh, contrasts. Get, getting lost people saved is catching fish. Jesus told a bunch of fishermen, I'll make you fishers of men. Listen, no fisherman tries to clean a fish before he catches it. You got, you got to catch the fish. Get it in the boat. You can, don't, don't be trying to tell some lost person to stop drinking. What's that going to do? Okay, they stop drinking. They die and go to hell. What have you done for them? You took away the only good five hours of their day. Lord, have mercy. 
tell somebody to stop smoking, stop whoremongering. For, for, what? And they're lost? And they stop doing that? What do they do? They die and go to hell forever. That's not, that's not the point. Don't address the symptom. Address the problem. You don't put a Band-Aid on cancer. You cut cancer out. I remember when Gail had cancer, and, and, and we believed that God was going to heal her, and she was going to live, and it's going to be a great testimony. God healed her and took her to heaven. But I remember when the surgeon came in, and he said, he looked little dude about this. I mean, seriously, he was shorter than her. And she was five. She said she was five foot tall. She's probably about 4'11". But he came in about five foot tall, dude from India, and talking weird. And he said, I'm the only one. I'm like, oh, you proud of yourself, little man. I'm the only one. He, was, he said he was the only one in the hospital that could fix her. He said all this medicine, all this chemo, all this radiation, that is just prolonging stuff, but I'm here to cut it out. I thought, man, I like this speech right here. I like that speech. Listen, you cannot try to tell. Well, you can, but you're not going to help them by dealing with people's issues that aren't saved. Stop riding people's back for cussing, for whoremongering, for drinking, for smoking, for not coming to church, for not reading their Bible. Why in the world would a lost person be doing all that anyway? Half the saved people in the room ain't doing that. Oh, that's another sermon. Boy, a better preacher put a series on that right there. If you're not in the water, you need to get in the water. If you're not saved, why? I mean, let's just be honest. Why? Why in the world would you even halfway believe in this Bible? Why in the world would you even halfway believe that there's a heaven and a hell? And you're just going to stand flat-footed and say, mine saved. Get saved. It's not hard for us. It was hard for Jesus. He paid the price. The Bible says that he took the sin of the whole world and he put it on him to pay for the sin of the whole world. And God said that all of us are only one prayer away from being totally right with God. So if you're here and you're unsaved, the Bible says if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You need to get in the water. Well, I've walked aisles and prayed prayers before. I've confessed salvation before, and it never changed me. Okay. If you need to do it again, guess what you ought to do? Do it again. You better do it till you get it right. I can remember when my kids were growing up. My kids were born in this church. And they used to walk down every Sunday in children's church. They have invitations and they walked the aisle, and children's church pastor come to me and say, Pastor Scott, uh, one of your kids walked the aisle, and I led them in a prayer to be saved again. Um, now, I know you, you say if somebody gets saved, they'll, they'll stay saved forever because the Bible says what God does, he does forever, and salvation is eternal. Should I keep leading them in this prayer? And I said, absolutely. Absolutely, because one day it's going to stick with them so hard, they're going to be so excited when you're having an invitation, when they see their friends walking down to get the salvation that they know they have on the inside. And they'll get to a place where they don't have to walk an aisle again. They'll get to a place where they don't have to come down and get reassurance again. But if you're here and you're not sure that you're saved, you need to ask God to save you. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to pray a prayer. You don't have to shake my hand. You don't have to talk to anybody but God. God said if you'll call on him, he'll answer. He'll be a God to you. He'll make you his child. The Bible says that we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. If you believe, the Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you can be saved. 
If you, will open, if you will just openly say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that God raised him from the dead. And you will ask God to make you a Christian. God says he'll save you and he'll change you from the inside out. And then guess what? You'll be in the water. And you can experience all of these things that Ezekiel saw in the water. But here's the thing. This picture of the water is a picture of spirituality for real Christians. Because every real Christian is in the water. You got your feet in the water and your ankle deep. Now, if you study the text, it's a river. It's not a pond. And the river, the stream is flowing. The river is flowing. Well, if you're in a river and the water is flowing and you're ankle deep, what has the most control over you? You or the water? You. I get in almost any bottle of water ankle deep. It can have a called current it wants to. If I'm on flat ground, ankle deep, it can have current. It's just flushing across my feet. See, that's the picture of a person who's just barely existing in Christ. The, the, the movement of God's Spirit, it's not swaying you. It's not moving you. You're there. You see the water running, but you are in control of you. You're not yielding to that. You're not giving in to that. But when you walk a little deeper... And you get up to your knees, well, this typifies, if we were talking about it, you know, in an Augustinian hermeneutic, somebody who bends their knees to prayer. If, if you get up to your knees in the water, go ahead and get up into your knees in a river. Guess what? When that current comes, it's going to sway you a little bit, but you can still fight back against it. You can still control you. And the purpose of being a Christian is to not control you, but to let God control you. Let the Spirit of God, which is typified by this water, control you. Ankle deep, it has, God's Spirit has almost no control over you. You're standing 99% on your own, barely in Christ. Knee deep, you get moved every now and then. But guess what? You're still you. You still got the majority of you sticking up, showing to everybody. God's not covering you. You're not deep in the things of Christ. You're just knee deep. But when that water comes up to your waist, you, you want to really see this happen, go to the ocean when it warms up. Go to the Atlantic Ocean. Stand there, ankle deep. That sand will move under your feet, and you'll feel the movement a little bit. Go on out there to your knees. And that current rushes in. That tide rushes in on you. You'll feel it move you a little bit, knee deep. You're still, you're still standing. You are in control, and that's not God's plan. That's our plan. People don't like to give up control of their life. But the Spirit leads us deeper, another 1,750 feet, another lap around the track. And then we get waist deep. Well, you're starting to get in trouble now. Because, you know, some people uh, are, are longer from the waist down. Some people are longer from the waist up. But either way, that's a lot of you in that water. And when that water hits you, it's going to bend you. And so now you really start getting moved by all the, all, every time the current flows, you feel something. But ankle deep ain't good enough. Knee deep ain't good enough. Waist deep is not good enough. But when you get to that place where it is over your head and you cannot even walk in it, you can't touch bottom. You can't touch bottom and you can't swim. And this current is moving. You're in trouble if you're still re relying on yourself. But if you believe 
that God is your strength, your source, and your supply. You just lay back on a raft and you float in that thing. And you just let the current flow you and take you. And Listen, you get in over your head in, in, in moving water, you got no chance to be in control then. You're going to realize this thing is bigger than me. This thing is stronger than me. This thing is now taking control of me. And it's moving me down the river. That's where we need to be. Not where we're trying to do all the struggle, all the strain. Not where we're trying to do all, all the hard work, but where we've walked with God long enough. Where we've endured, we've persisted, and we've gotten out into the deep part, and we can just relax and let him carry us downstream. And most people never get in over their head. So here's what I want you to do today. I'm not going to have a big invitation to drag you down this altar because a lot of you would come and you wouldn't mean it. But I want you to be honest where you're at. Are you ankle deep? You know you're saved. But you're not doing anything about it. Are you knee deep? You're a little better than you used to be. But you're still trying to control your own life. Are you waist deep? See, the, the groin area in, in the Greek represents the seat of emotions. It, it's, it, it's where you begin to give your feelings over to God and really fall in love with Him. Waist deep moving past intellectualism and moving into the, the real love and intimacy. Groin represents intimacy. Are you waist deep? That's, that's okay. That's a good place to be unless you've been further. Ankle deep's a good place to be for a baby. First time getting in the water, adult, that's a good place to be. Knee deep is showing progress for a baby, for a new Christian, or for, for an adult that's never been in the water. Waist deep can be a little scary. Because if you can't swim good, then you realize, i got to count on this water. But that's what God wants. And then when you realize you can count on the water, you're willing just to cross into that stuff. You know you can't touch bottom. But you trust the current. You trust the movement of the Holy Ghost to guide you, to direct you, to lead you. And not only that, listen to me, to carry you. That's why people get tired in church. They're working too hard. They're not, they're not letting God carry them. The only person that can live the Christian life effectively is Christ. You can't work hard enough to get this thing figured out on your own. But if you would just yield, say, God, I'm diving in. I'm just jumping in the deep end, Lord. You know I can't swim, but I am jumping in the deep end, and I just believe you're going to carry me safely down this river till I get home. That's what God wants for your life. So wherever you are today, first thing you need to do, you need to be honest about it. I hope you're at least ankle deep. Because somebody that's ankle deep can truly say, I'm all, I'm all the way in. You're all the way in the water. You walked off the dry land. You're all the way in the water, but the water ain't all the way in you yet. Okay? That's the early days. Are you ankle deep? Or are you knee deep? You're not really bending your knees to pray that much because you ain't letting God force you down on your knees yet because you're still dealing with pride and arrogance and rebellion. Or are you waist deep? Are you really falling in love with Him? Are you really being intimate with Him? Does He move you on a daily basis? Or are you just in that deep spot so deep you can't see the bottom and you don't care how deep it is because you know you're not going to sink because He's carrying you? That's where God wants you to be. You won't get there without a willingness to get there. The Spirit leads. 
the man leads. God sends messengers to lead you down the river. But you got to cross over some things. And you got to walk a long time over and over. Stop worrying about when you're going to get your deliverance. Stop worrying about when your ship is going to come in. Stop worrying about when things are going to get better for you. And listen, keep walking. Keep walking. Keep crossing over. Keep gaining new depths to where you can finally say, I'm in the deep end now, and there is no turning back. I'm in the deep end now. And this is where I want to be. If you ever get in the deep end and you feel God carrying you, you realize that it's effortless to be who God wants you to be when you let him be it through you. And when you find Christianity effortless, when you find Christianity carrying you, when you find the Spirit moving you and guiding you through every turn in the river of life, then you are going to be fulfilled. You're going to be happy You're going to see stuff flourishing. I'm up here. You're going to see stuff flourishing all around you. Why? Because God wants you to experience his power. And you will not experience his power ankle deep, knee deep, or waist deep. So God sent me here today to encourage you. Go deeper. Go deeper than you've ever been. Why? Because our original text said he wants to take you from one level of glory to the next. Ezekiel saw a vision. God wants to take you from ankle deep to knee deep to waist deep to in over your head. Well, what if I get in over my head and I can't take it? God will take it. What happened when Peter walked on water and then he started to sink? He cried out to Jesus. What did Jesus say? Sink? No. He picked him up and then he walked on the water with Jesus. You don't have to do this on your own, child of God. You don't have to carry your burden on your own. Things are lighter in the water. There's people in this room I wouldn't even try to pick up. We all get in over our heads. I tread water underneath you and act like I'm carrying you. Why? Things weigh less in the water. Burdens aren't as heavy in the water. Life becomes prosperous the deeper you go. But you've got to decide to keep walking and stop turning around and going back to the other side where you came from. See, Ezekiel was making laps around his building and he wasn't getting it until he saw what was coming out of the door. When you see that there's life in Jesus Christ flowing out from Jesus Christ and he wants you to get involved in it, you're going to quit lapping around the mountain. You're going to quit spinning your wheels and wasting your time. When you finally get to the point where you realize this is what I've been looking for my whole life, then you can just float. Floating, if you can't float, he'll put his wings under you and he will just glide you down that river. And you don't have to be scared of the water because he's our safety. You don't have to be scared of what's around the bend, up, down, and stream in the river because he's promised he'd never leave us or forsake us. But if you keep getting out of the river and walking off the bank and walking away from the door, you're never going to move past where you are and you will stay stuck and I don't want you to stay stuck and God doesn't want you to stay stuck God wants you to move forward so without an invitation and without raising hands and without closing eyes and praying I just want you to think in your mind do you want to stay stuck or do you want to move from one level to the next level so you can experience all that God has 
Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Help us, God, to go deeper. Help us, God, to love you more. Help us to trust you when we can't see the bottom, when we can't see the end of the river. Help us to trust you. Lead us, God. We'll follow. Help us to walk in true fellowship. Help us to stay the course 1,000 feet, 2,000 feet, 3,000 feet, four or 5,000 feet. Help us, God, to continue to walk towards you because you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And we love you and we trust you and we believe in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.